Howdy, y'all. We want to wish you all a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year. We hope you're having a great holiday. Be sure to tell all of your friends and family this holiday about Come and Take It, a podcast about Texas and Texas history. Grab your grandma's iPhone and help her download the show. Dad burn it, dog gonna dad got it, do 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 back. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. There are lots of classic movies about Texas, and then there are movies about Texas to which time has not been so kind. Made in 1969, Viva Max is one of these lesser films. Featuring an amazing cast of award winners and based on the writings of one of Texas' brightest minds, today we discuss Viva Max, a film about a Mexican general who retakes the Alamo in a bid to prove his honor. But first, what's your favorite Texas donut or pastry? Well, I'll have to go with a traditional Czech kolache. Uh, there's places scattered all over the place that sell them. Like the Czech Stop. Like the Czech Stop in West. Um, the kitchen of my wife's grandmother. She makes delicious kolaches. Kolache um, Station in Plano. Kolache Station. Well, I like Round Rock Donuts in Round Rock, Texas, which they are orange and delicious. Hmm. Well, if you want a special treat, go to Portland. Down in Gregory, Portland, Texas, there's a place called Dixie Donuts. And they make these big buttermilk-style, just super sweet, amazing donuts. Mm, donuts. I'd like a donut right now. Let's go get donuts, guys. All right, podcast is over. <laughs> a rogue Mexican general retakes the Alamo in a bold Don Quixote fashion to prove himself, both to his girlfriend and his men. But in the end, Max proves himself, and without guns, the conflict is ended and honor is retained. Viva Max was a novel written by Jim Lehrer. Most people know Jim Lehrer as a reporter and commentator on PBS's famous McNeil Lehrer NewsHour. Back in 1964, though, he was a young reporter working at the Dallas Times-Herald, which no longer exists today, and he wrote a satirical novel based on the shrine of his hometown in San Antonio, the Alamo. In his book, Mexican General Maximilian Rodriguez de Santos commands a small garrison in Nuevo Laredo. An ineffective and mostly ignored leader... His role as general is mostly ceremonial. While usually crossing the border for ceremonial purposes, uh, you know, for parades and such, Max uses the opportunity and hatches a plan to retake the Alamo. In the course of the novel, he takes 27 Americans hostage, faces off American forces with water hoses, and barters a peace with LBJ. It's a deep satire and reflects much of the politics at the time, including some well-placed jabs at the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. So, quick note, the Daughters of the Republic of Texas is a sorority organization dedicated to perpetuating the memory of pioneer Texas families. And most notably, they are the primary caretakers of the Alamo. But we'll talk about the, the DRT a little bit later. Lear's novel was optioned and adapted for the screen, and Jerry Paris was hired to direct the movie. He was a longtime veteran actor and probably most known for his work uh, in front of the camera as the neighbor dentist on the Dick Van Dyke show. He went on to direct a couple of movies and a lot of television show and a lot of made-for-TV movies. As for the cast, Viva Max features a murderer's row of talented actors. Peter Ustinoff, two-time Academy Award-winning film actor, director, writer, journalist, and raconteur. You may know him from Spartacus. Or Billy Budd. Or Billy Budd. Uh, another one was stand-up comic legend uh, Jonathan Winters. 
Uh, he became the mentor and inspiration for the late Robin Williams. He was on the Mork Mindy show as uh, Mork's son, yep. even though he was older. Uh, he's actually a very interesting man, and his comedy, it, he really is a trailblazer for modern comedians, stand-up comics. John Aston, a beloved actor who played Gomez on The Addams Family and had a notable turn on Night Court. And he was the father of Sean Aston. Yeah, I love John Aston. Keenan Wynn is a very famous character actor who I guarantee you know if you see his face. He was in Dr. Strangelove, Son of Flubber, and was even in The Great Race. You gonna answer to the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> Harry Morgan, most people know him either as Colonel Potter from MASH or from earlier in his career as Bill Gannon from the show Dragnet. He won two Emmys playing Colonel Potter in MASH. Alice Ghostly was best known as Esmeralda from Bewitched. If you need a fretful actress, she was your go-to gal. Yeah, I think she was also a staple on a lot of those 70s, 60s and 70s she did a lot talk of TV shows. Work. Uh, a lot of TV work. Kenneth Mars is a prolific character actor who would play a number of roles. He's the one-armed inspector in Young Frankenstein. He plays the Nazi screenwriter yeah. in The Producers. Fr Franz Liebken. Who, Franz Liebken. Mm -hmm. That was a wonderful dancer. <laughs> And he plays the head of Boyd Aviation in Fletch. Yes, he also, does. Also, if you're a big Disney fan, you may know him and recognize him as the voice of Ariel's father, King Triton in The Little Mermaid. I didn't know that. Uh, there's another uh, veteran of the Dick Van Dyke show, Anne Morgan Gilbert. She was a famous stage actress, uh, multiple Tony nominee. There's the character actor, Bill McCutcheon. And a young Larry Hankin, who would appear in season four of Seinfeld, and where he was cast to play Cosmo Kramer oh, on the on, on the, the show. show within a show on the show, show within the show, show. Okay, it's a show within a show, Jerry. Uh, you you might remember him from Pretty Woman, or you really might remember him from Billy Madison. Yeah, he's he's a tall, angular guy, and he's got crazy gray hair right oh, now. But he's see. very young. Billy in this, Madison. This yeah, mm -hmm. he's very young in this movie. A long story short, if you watch this movie, you'll recognize pretty much every actor on screen. Yeah, an incredible pedigree of a cast. The producers intended to shoot the movie in San Antonio, and they actually filmed a lot of the scenes in the city. The Daughters of the Republic of Texas, however, were already aware that the negative satire portrayed in the novel. And initially, citizens and even the city of San Antonio welcomed the presence of the Hollywood actors and the crew shooting in the city. But as events unfolded, there was a real negative move made to bar the film from San Antonio. And at one point, the Daughters considered wrapping the Alamo in black plastic to hinder the exterior shots, the whole Alamo. They yeah. wanted to wrap it up in plastic bags. That, that might have hurt their tourism. Yeah, that might have hurt it a little bit. Eventually, the exteriors would be filmed in Brackettville at the Alamo replica that John Wayne created, with interiors being shot in Rome, Italy. They shot in Rome because one of the actresses had a scheduling conflict. I guess she was involved in a different movie, and mm -hmm. so they had to move everything to be nearer to her. Yeah, it's the main actress in the movie, the the, the quote-unquote love interest. So let me take it back to part of this thing about the San Antonio turning on them, and then we'll get into talking about the movie a little bit. The production fired shots within the actual Alamo <laughs> early on in the production. Yeah. But the other thing is they, they flew the Mexican flag over the Alamo. The real Alamo. Not the, the, not the John Wayne Alamo. This yeah. is the real Alamo. The San Antonio Alamo. <laughs> It's a sacred hell. If you're not from Texas and listen to this, you maybe you don't understand. The Alamo is a is is like a temple. It's sacred ground to Texans. So it if, was a bit weird to see these things happen. It, it would be like raising the Russian flag on the White House. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah, just shooting or, a movie, Mister President, or like um, 
it would be like shooting like a like a shootout scene of a of an NCIS episode in actual Arlington National Cemetery, or like right na- or like the Japanese flag flying on the Iwo Jima monument. That's that's that's, that's how serious we we consider these things. And for them to do this, like this was the the whole point of there the being a shot fired on the grounds of the Alamo is like the point they made was no shots have been fired here, which is not true, but no shots have been fired here since the the Battle of the Alamo. Okay, well, let, let's start at the beginning with this movie. Right. So, so, so you, let's let's kind of talk. We kind of handed out the plot, but it, this is kind of how it unfolds. Is this? I want, kind of want to unpack it a little bit more. This Mexican general, who's this fat guy, they they cross the border with a group of men, purportedly on, on foot. He's riding a horse. Yeah, All he's riding a four, foot. foot. His men are on a horse. They cross the border to go, and they tell the border crossing guards they're going to a parade in Laredo. But what they actually do is they go to San Antonio to take the take over the Alamo. And it's because, <laughs> well, the initial reasoning is because... And, you, and yeah, you don't find out this initial, you don't well, find out the reasoning the until first, later in the, the movie. The first reason that, that Ustinov gives in his performance is that uh, it's because of his father. And his father always lamented like the whole thing about the Alamo yeah. and the loss of Texas. But what you, it, it comes around to another thing. But But let's start with... Two-time Academy Award winner Peter Ustinov, <laughs> and his portrayal and his um, unique choice as an actor of <laughs> of, of of the uh, native Mexican accent that he yeah. he he embraces. Um, yeah, it, you could it it doesn't go quite into parody, like into just ridiculous over 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 stereotyping. Because he kind of vacillates, and and we'll, we'll, we kind of need to talk about this, but he kind of vacillates between uh, this stereotypical accent and I'm really embarrassed to be here and be part of this whole thing, and I'm so underperforming that you can't really tell anything that's going on. Well, yeah, but what's funny about it, though, is he struck me as the most sincere character in the entire film. Yeah, there it's were like scenes every, where Everyone around him is really super ridiculous, and he's kind of just playing that straight yeah. through line. You know, so it's it, like he, he's trying to accomplish this thing, and he sticks to it. All right, so let, let's, let's finish the plot point. So they take over the Alamo. They kidnap a couple of people. They tell the sheriff of San Antonio they've they've taken over the Alamo. They want the, gov- they want the American government to recognize them and issue an apology for what they've done to Mexico. And then it turns out that like one of the people they've kidnapped, her nephew is this crazy right wing militia man. Yeah. But anti-communist, anti-communist. Yeah. That the, the, the Chinese communists, she, she, she thinks that they're Chinese communists and they've taken over the Alamo. So he gets his buddies to come down to Texas. Meanwhile, the inept national guard is trying to get rid of them, but the Mexican soldiers have not brought any ammunition in their guns. When Whoops. they came over. Whoops. So the National Guard doesn't shoot because they don't have any ammunition. So it's it's a comedy of errors. Well, what it really is, and we talked and we were talking about this before we started taping, is it is a comedy of errors. But this movie was made, and maybe we should say this a little bit. Yeah, this is kind of the ele- elephant this, in the room here. This was made in 1969. Yeah. This is a farce. And this movie is a is a true farce. So it, more popular movies might be something like, um, you know, Mad, 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 Mad World, or those kinds of... It doesn't, it doesn't play very modern. And so you sort of... The things like the dialogue choices and sort of these ridiculous situations and things, they, they've, you feel 
very dated and disjointed when you watch it with modern yeah, eyes. Yeah, another contemporary movie might be The Mouse That Roared, which is a Peter Sellers movie. Okay, yeah. Where this small country invades New York City. That's kind of a contemporary movie. Here's the problem with this movie. First of all, one of the problems is it sort of speaks in an obsolete vernacular. Like, what we see as a farce is something more postmodern, like Arrested Development or Parks and Recreation or or Office Space or something like that. Like, that's a farce, but it's not... Or we see the Zucker brothers, an airplane and naked gun, police story, or police, police uh, squad, police squad. Those type of movies, those are farces that kind of yeah, but they're not more, this right. The, this is not those things. Yeah, this is a thing that we watched. So maybe you don't have right. to if you're if you're hearing this and you're already sort of here's off. my problem with this movie is not only does it speak with this obsolete vernacular. But it doesn't even go all in on the satire and the farce like a laugh-in does or like it's a mad, mad world does or even um, the mouse that roars. It seems not to fully embrace this satire. So it's to me, it wasn't as funny as it could have been. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tragedy that John Astin, which is he's one of the funniest actors that I know, mm-hmm. is more or less deadpan through the entire right. thing. He's he's one of the funniest, like if you've ever seen the original Adams Family, he's one of the funniest zany actors that you could get. And yet he plays it straight and understates it. And like John Aston is not a person you want to see understating things. Absolutely. He's, he's, and he's capable of, you know, I mean, how much of the Adams Family did we watch growing up as yeah. kids in reruns? He's capable of such amazing physical comedy. So anyway... Long story short is, is that the, these actors are... are right. The, and you, you find out that the reason why Yusinov's uh, character is taking over the Alamo is because his girlfriend told him he couldn't even uh, conquer, like tying his shoes or something like that. Yeah, she, he, he's he, trying to impress his girlfriend. Right. But he meets, a, he meets... So he meets this blonde girl that works at the Alamo. She's the uh, actress who was in the Italian movies and that they mm-hmm. had rescheduled for and uh, she's kind of a buxom blonde, but it turns out she was like a, a campus radical at Baylor University. She's, all a, places. she's a doctoral student. She's a doctoral a student. student. Yeah, and, and she wants to write her thesis on what he's doing. Right, and because she thinks he's like a Marxist revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. She says, "I, I was going to pick Shay, and then I was going to pick this person." Yeah, but the reason we came around this movie is I was speaking to my uncle, and he said, "He oh, there's this movie called Viva Max, and it was filmed in downtown San Antonio." And I was like, "Never heard of this movie." I'm a big movie nerd. I should have heard of this movie. So we went and looked it up and started talking about it. And I, and you know, he was at the university of Texas at the time of working on his PhD. He was coming and going to the farm. So he would go through San Antonio a lot and, and kind of talked about this idea of what San Antonio represents in, in sort of the late sixties era. And I think the book and the movie are supposed to really be sort of, it's making a lot of statements. Yeah. I got really confused it's, as to what am I because the book's more clear. The book's very clear as to the daughters of the Revolution of Texas mm-hmm. preserve this shrine, but right. there's this sort of also notion of it's not just preserved; it's sort of a lot of meaning and things attached. And so it, there's yeah. a lot of barbs about it's, what the Alamo really right. represents so the, to so Texas. The, right, and the book is a commentary a on conservative values and on social mores in Texas at the time, but also on American foreign policy. The book was so like the American, you know, American treatment and overbearing treatment of 
small republics of small countries. And yeah, it's like the way that Mexico is just dismissed. It's like, well, right. it's not like you're the Soviet Union. Right, exactly. There <laughs> yeah. was a, yeah, there's a State Department official that comes to talk to the guy, and it's like, well, it's not like you're the Soviet Union. And, and, and so the movie does kind of hint at some of those things. It kind of moves in those directions, but it's, it, I, my problem is it just doesn't, it doesn't go for it. It yeah. doesn't really reach out and grab that. That. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing kind of just has a lackluster yes. kind of feel to it. Yes. Now, Jonathan Winters is the best part of this movie, which could be said just about anything he's in. But he's, yes, but he's underutilized still. He still yeah. is underutilized. Because you, you see little asides of he's doing little physical things, he's making faces, he's doing, but this could have been a, a fantastic vehicle for him. He could have really... This could have been just a slapstick, crazy comedy, and and you had these these wacky characters, these great character actors set up. You know, they just don't go for it. Is yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, but he he plays a he plays a uh, so like they tell Sh- Harry Harry Morgan is a, is the sheriff of San Antonio, which I don't think San Antonio is. Sh- oh, he's chief, chief of police. police. He's chief of police. And they 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 send him a note saying they've taken the Alamo, or <laughs> they call him. And he's like, I'm going home. And he like drives out and he sees the Mexican flag. And he's like, oh, it's like, it's a pr- thinks it's just a prank he call. Thinks it's, the kids. Or he yeah. thinks, yeah, thinks the students have taken, like the student radicals. But anyway, so they say, well, we've got to get the army involved in this. Well, who's who's in the National Guard? But one of the things that the Peter Yusnoff says is, I won't talk to anybody that's not my rank. So they're like, well, do we have a general near here? Now, the interesting thing is that as we've talked about San Antonio, so they say, is there a general around here? And it turns out the only general around is a Texas National Guard general, Jonathan Winters, but he's also a mattress salesman. Like that's he's yeah, he just, runs the family mattress yeah, business. He, yeah. he, he plays and, he and he's he's a general because he joined the army. He joined the National Guard during the war and basically like peeled potatoes for the whole no, no, World he, War Two. He says. Tubes. I'm all about tubes. And he was he was like he installed all the fluorescent yeah, lighting. He installed fluorescent in the lighting bases. during during the World War II. But he just stayed in the National Guard. So by 1969, he's a general. But the the funny thing is, is that as we know, we did a whole episode on aviation, military aviation in San Antonio. San Antonio has a the largest, like one of the largest forts in the United States, yeah. military bases, and like at the time five air force bases <laughs> so there's plenty of generals but anyway winners yeah. and and yeah, yeah and just to talk about the national guard portrayal in this film yeah. oh um, boy they <laughs> they, really they do are. not come across keystone cops yeah pretty much basically keystone cops and uh they don't come across very well but they end up getting a real army general and that's keenan Wynn, who comes in and sort of takes over and but it, it's it's it is it's a like we said it's a comedy of errors it should work but it just doesn't it should do it now i like the fact you mentioned the national guard here let me also say and i'm going to say this for any of our friends that might live in mexico and be listening to this show and just saying i wonder what those texan guys are up to it is appalling how poorly the mexican army is portrayed in this <laughs> in this show as well which is like uh they're a major country they're in yeah. the UN. They have a standing army, yeah. and they have a significant military and police force. They, they're not bumbling Keystone cops either, and right. so it was just one of those things of. Uh, and, and they give now they give them a level of like heroism and honor at the very end that comes through, but I think it's it's lackluster and 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 it's it's like too little, too late. So yeah. at the well, end, the the, the, the the National Guard sort of fails. The Army sort of, the American Army sort of fails. They end up getting captured. But then the, 
then the the militia shows up. They've they've ridden a bus from Waco to San Antonio. It's taken them all night to do so, which I don't I don't know about you, but it takes about two hours to get from Waco to San Antonio. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, even it. Listen, this movie, as all movies that seem to happen in Texas, Texas yeah. and I'm I'm pointing at you, Mr. Movie Guys, that are listening to this, have a real hard time with Texas geography yeah. and maps because Max marches his army from their base in Nuevo Laredo to Laredo, which is about 30 yards. And instead yeah. of making it seem like this big march yeah. to get to Laredo. And then, but then walks to San Antonio. In a shorter amount of time, than it short- takes the <laughs> militia to drive in a bus from Waco. Yeah. But so anyway, so what happens is they show up after the National Guard sort of failed, but the situation is kind of diffusing itself. Then, then the militia shows up and Kenneth Mars has a gun and he ends up shooting uh, Peter Usnoff's character. Yeah, they're, the the only, they're the only ones with live ammunition. Yeah, they're the only ones with live ammunition. And um, sort of like, basically, this is like these gung-ho American, crazy anti-communist people are absolutely nuts, and these Mexicans have their honor. And that's that's, that's sort of the, the final resolution of the movie, but it just sort of just falls, you know? Well, in preparation of the episode we were talking, and Sean, you made a great analogy about Stu. Yeah, so it's like you've got... The, the, this movie and this cast and the story is like you've got Kobe beef that you're going to put in this stew and you've got this handcrafted porter that's going to be the base and you've got grains of paradise and saffron and, and all these spices from all over the world. And Exotic potatoes. Yeah, you got these potatoes from Ireland and these carrots that were grown in Nepal and you're going to put them all together and it tastes like crap. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it tastes worse than like well, lunch you, food. You know? Then you put it in the hands of a, yeah. you know, your 12 year old who right. knows how to make ramen. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it just, it just is like, a it's just a mistake. It, it plays like a, it plays like a bad TV movie. Well, I, it does. And it's direct. The guy who directed it went on to direct a lot of TV mo- yeah. movies, but I, I was, I was thinking about this, you know, today's directors, if, if, Quentin Tarantino went and remade this, you know, or if a modern, like, I, I was like, this could be a gritty film where, you know, a Mexican force came in and took the Alamo and it becomes Assault on Precinct 13 or yeah. it becomes something, you know, Dog Day Afternoon or something. Starring Dwayne Johnson as a descendant of Jim <laughs> Bowie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Antonio Banderas as the great, 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 great grandson of Santa Ana. Right. Yeah, something well, like that. What I found more fascinating was the backstory of the response of San Antonio to this and of, of things. So like we, we alluded to that the daughters of the of the revolution wanted to wrap Alamo in black plastic. But some of the things that happens is there's a scene when the Mexican army was parading through town to take the Alamo. They just sort of had this parade in the middle of town and didn't tell anybody. Yeah, and so it, it definitely has the look of something that was unpermitted. And yeah, exactly. It, but it wasn't unpermitted. The city knew and they approved it. It just, it just you see real they, cops they, they, they in didn't the block movie. It. They didn't seem to have no, blocked anything off. No. Or, and then, but then more importantly, this is the the bigger scene is when the National Guard is attacking the the the, the Alamo. That's actually downtown San Antonio, and it's he, that's a deal where people didn't know. Yeah. That it was happening. So there's all these soldiers in military uniforms running through the streets going towards the Alamo and day-to-day like commute morning commuters, people going to their offices were like, what's going on here? And they were flooded. The police were flooded with calls. Like, what is there an invasion? Is there an attack? People were ducking and covering. 
And so those are the things like, those are the fascinating things to me. And then, yeah, the, it is shocking to me as a Texan in 2014, when watching this movie to see the Mexican flag flying over the actual Alamo in downtown San Antonio. Cause that part hasn't changed very much. The thing about San Antonio and this interesting you say it hasn't changed much. And this was something that came up in my conversation with my uncle. Um, hello, Cecil that San Antonio does not, especially in the late sixties, you know, Austin is, is the university of, of what it is. Houston's petrochemical. Houston's all business. You go to Austin, Austin's all intellectual. You go to Dallas, Dallas is, is all business. You go to San Antonio and it's a, it feels like a small town. And even today it still feels kind of like a small town. But mm-hmm. back then he said, you know, it felt like a small town, even though, you know, it, it felt big his whole life. And then he went to other cities mm-hmm. and he said, you know, man, I realize how small San Antonio feels. And it's a very conservative town. Mm-hmm. And that's just who the, there's a character to San Antonio. It's a, it is rooted in its traditions yeah. and it loves them. I, but I think what I, you're yeah. seeing here is, is that Jim, Jim Lehrer was really in his novel saying, you know, Let's examine why this yeah. is a shrine and put it in the in the context too of, you know, this girl who's a revolutionary, but you know she she still goes to college and she works in the gift shop and and she, and she has a big she has hel- blonde helmet she, hair and right <laughs> now my and then the other interesting point that that Cecil brought up in our conversation was he talked about there's another movie filmed in San Antonio that we haven't talked about yet, Miss Congeniality yes and in Miss Congeniality Sandra Bullock plays a FBI agent who goes undercover in the Miss America pageant. And in the course of that, she's giving like, she's playing uh, glasses on stage and doing like some kind of talent routine. And in her little earpiece, she tells them, uh, keep your eye, you know, I, I see a suspect. Uh, he's, he's wearing the cowboy hat and carrying, a, he's, I think he's got a gun. <laughs> and, you know, the, and the joke is, is, oh, they're all wearing cowboy hats and having guns. But, you know, he made the point of, that's how a lot of the rest of the world looks yeah, at Texas, and most particularly at San Antonio, um, they were fairly unfairly. San Antonios were fairly unfairly portrayed in uh, Matt and Trey Parker's basketball, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I won't even go into that one today. Yeah. But but there's this sort of notion of this. It's this conservative town of of, of yeah. cowboys and hats and kind of little old ladies. They're just, you know, very afraid of the Chinese communists. Afraid yeah. of the Chinese communists. And and that's what I think the tone of that movie was yeah. supposed to be about is there's this paranoid place where there's a bunch of kind of backwards people that are sort of trigger yeah. happy. But the whole message gets lost in the mess of this movie. Right. And and just the the lack of enthusiasm from a lot of the participants. I, I the interesting thing another interesting thing is I I'd wager that Downtown San Antonio, that that street right in front of the Alamo, uh, in that section of town probably looked very little different from 1969 to the late 70s when probably all of us would have first gone to the Alamo, yeah, um, or the early 80s. But like seeing the long shots of that street and of the cenotaph and the the buildings around it, like I remember it looking in the post office at the end of the street there. Mm-hmm. I remember it looking like that up until the 90s. At that point, you know, right across the street from the Alamo today is the Ripley's Believe It or Not and like a bunch of tourist trap 
shops. Right. But that was that was part of the San Antonio did a whole um yeah re, they redid the whole river walk and they said we're going to become a tourist destination yeah. and that's where a lot of that the tourism came from. I I want to go back to where you talked about like this the actors in this show. There's a quote. So I went and looked at a lot of different reviews and there's some modern reviews and some things, but I was able to find thanks to the miracle of the internet some classic reviews that came out at the time when it was. And one quote from a Variety review really stuck with me. Uh, they, they said in this, and it just says staff review, quote, both he and John Aston, as his tough sergeant, do yeoman work, but have that vague aura of embarrassment of good actors who wonder what the director has wrought. And this is referring to Peter Ustinov. Yeah. Well, and it had to be galling for Ustinov because he was also a director. Yeah, and... There's a couple of things about this movie that really struck me. One is seeing uh, Harry Morgan walk around in his western cut suit and his LBJ style cowboy hat. Yeah, which I look need, great I need, in. I need to get me one of those hats. Oh yeah, because is it blue? Is powder blue? Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. powder. Uh, no, yeah. Gore-Tex suit. Mm. Yeah. And then the other thing that I find remarkable about this movie is that it's the only movie that's actually about the Alamo that actually refers to another movie about the yes. Alamo. Oh, yeah. Because there's a whole bit about the John Wayne Alamo with John Wayne. Yeah, the famous painting that made the, and, that formed the poster of the Alamo, the, the yeah. movie poster. It's like prominently displayed inside yeah. the and, Alamo. And, and it's part of the, the tour of the Alamo yeah. where the, the tour guide is yeah. referring to this great film by John Wayne about the Alamo. I, but I love the fact that there's also the sign countersign of yeah. you know you have to get in to get in past the centuries you have to say <laughs> I'm John Wayne I'm John Wayne and they go I'm Richard Widmark and yeah. then they let yes. you in the alley. Yes. So yeah, it definitely references that. And in in a conversation with you, Scott, you asked me the question. You know, gosh, you know, these things are we're talking about that they're nine years apart. Like in October of 1960 is when John Wayne's The Alamo was released. This thing came out in December of '69. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's part of the satire, right? It's like what you're saying is he's trying to contrast the, you know, why is this a shrine and why is it important? And so it's kind of pointing perhaps at this uh-huh. big overblown John Wayne production as being kind of a ridiculously overblown yeah, the, worship of something. The you funny know? thing about that is that is that they almost weren't going to film the John Wayne movie in Texas and the Daughters of the Republic of Texas fought and said, if you don't film it in Texas, then we will boycott your movie in the state. And on the other end of the spectrum, please don't film this movie here. If you film it here, we will boycott the album. We're going to do everything we can to stop it. Well, and and the time frame is a weird thing for me, too. Like, thinking about 1969, like, we landed on the moon, and then a couple months later, this this oh, stinker it, came it out. Is, it is, <laughs> it, and it is such a dated-feeling movie. I mean, when you look at... 2001 was was made in 1967 and it does not look like a movie from the 1960s uh, well most of it the the parts with Pan Am and stuff do but but this is a movie but it's also like this is the same year as Woodstock this is the same year as Jimi Hendrix and and you know the who and like all these things that that seem modern to us this movie does not seem modern, modern at all and and I'm going to mention to everybody listening uh good luck finding viva max yeah. because you have to find like an old videotape in like the you know the video jungle junction down the, the corner from your house yeah, like, this is this is a movie where the owner of the movie which i think is 
Paramount? Is that the one who I believe owns it? so? I think it's, Paramount it's, is not even exercising their copyright. You know, <laughs> this is a movie that is totally out of print because there's no desire to see there's it. Very little desire. But to see it. Turner Classic has aired it a couple of times because it 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 it, it is very rarely appears in their rotation. My wife watched this with me. And she didn't really start off watching it, but she sat down to watch it. And at the end, she was like, this is kind of cute. I kind of like this movie. Uh, I did not agree. but <laughs> Well, I think the problem is that if you sit down to see something like this, yeah, the bar is set very high because you think, okay, one, yeah. you recognize the actors. John Aston. You see the actors all, in it. You see all of this. And also the, the wealth of material of like, okay, this is a satire about San Antonio and the Alamo and everything is happening in the sixties in San Antonio. You're like, I'm really ready to experience and kind of be transported away in this. And you're like, you know, in, in this, the production values, just man, mm. like there's some bad. Yeah, they projection. spent all their money flying everybody to Italy. That's for sure. Yeah. That's where all the money went into. Yeah. There was a few little bits that I enjoyed that, are actually a little incongruous and maybe yeah, don't fit. But it's like their their whole march to get to the Alamo has got some entertaining parts, like when the, the guy carrying the bass drum twists his ankle. <laughs> yeah, and so they're like, well, funny. we're not going to stop marching. So they put him on a bus and oh, say, yeah, we'll meet you there. Oh, yeah, they put him there. on the bus and meet you there. That, that, I mean, that, there was, yeah, there was funny bits. The part where... Uh, uh, Gomez, Gomez, Gomez. Yeah, the part where Peter Yusnoff <laughs> keeps hiding from, the, <laughs> hiding from the gun. That was pretty funny and... Uh, you know they read they reenact the line in the sand and and that scene could have been more funny than it is but it yeah. is well the movie the movie has heart it, it does have it, heart and points yeah, well well let me let's talk about the marching and something here's something we haven't even talked about we talked about this fantastic cast we talked about all this these locations and stuff yeah. we haven't even mentioned the fact the music for this was written by Hugo Montenegro Hugo Montenegro famous 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 movie composer yeah movie composer and the music itself was performed by al hurt who is at the time was one of the top like trumpet players in the world he, he's one of the all-time great trumpet players well, yeah if I mean, you like, if you go to now today he's not as well known if you go to half price books and flip through their quarter bin of records you'll probably find 30 or 40 al hurt records but um i mean this was a big deal in 1969 so uh, he wrote the theme of the man from Uncle. He hang him high, hang him high. He died during Genie. He 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 was a prolific musician who did a lot of soundtrack work, did a lot of conducting work. They brought in A listers. Yeah, again, just one more piece of this horrible stew that yeah. just isn't. And it's uh, maybe it's 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 probably a little callous of us here in the future to sit back and look at something yeah. this and say with our modern eyes and be so critical of it. I think for this day it was fine, but I think it wasn't. It's not a timeless piece of cinema that holds up well. Yeah, over it's time. it's a document for its time. It's not hard to watch. It's not as hard to watch as I thought it was going to be, uh, but it's not hard to watch. It, but it is definitely a document of its time, and that's where its value really is. This is a document. Unfortunately, it's pretty difficult to find. But if it comes on Turner Classic, or if you happen to have a VCR still. And you find it in a dollar bin somewhere or a dime bin somewhere, or if there's other means to get it, yeah, it's worth checking out. I, I just wish I just wish that yeah, that John Aston and and Kenneth Mars and, and even Jonathan Winters had and Harry Morgan had more to do and yeah. had done more. You want it to be better. I thought, you know, we were talking about Jonathan Winters and 
the contrast with John Aston and uh, Peter Ustamov, um, I thought uh, Harry Morgan did a great. I mean, he was one of the yeah, most animated yeah, but he, performances in he, the whole thing. He still played it. My problem with Harry Morgan's role performance was he still kind of played a straight man, and and there there were. I've seen him in other things where he didn't play a straight man, where he did play an over the top. The the his first episode of Mash, he didn't play Colonel Potter. He played a, an insane general who came to, to to inspect the camp and was absolutely over the top crazy. And that's really what I would have liked to have seen yeah. is more of a of a stereotype. I'm a Texas police chief and dad burn it dog gonna dad got it do 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 because that's what I want out of a farce. Is I want extreme, but that may be my modern view of what I want. Well, this has been a fun walk down a historical uh, look at an interesting movie about Texas. One thing that we would like to ask all of you is, if you have any movies that you might want to suggest we talk about, we look at, watch, and review like this, drop us a line. Drop us, yeah, drop us a line. Let us know. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway.